Hey man, good morning. How you guys doing? I have never been called Pastor Vernon, but that's okay. Makes me feel old. Hey, uh, great to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, I asked Pastor Heath, I I hope you're okay with it. I asked Pastor Heath every now and again, hey man, I need you to come preach at Crosswinds. Um, We have uh, been in a a new facility for about six weeks and trying to uh, establish uh, the DNA for people who are showing up, and part of the DNA in our church is our love for other churches. And I think there's nothing better um, to be able to say to a community, a group of people, um, than uh, than we're okay with another pastor coming in and preaching, um, because we care more about the church and we care more about the gospel than we care about um, how many people we're filling in the seats. Um, and so that is part of uh, my goal um, in in asking your pastor. Other than that, he's a great friend, a great accountability partner. Um, we meet uh, once a week on Wednesday mornings and drill each other and pray for each other, and it's just a great time. Um, I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. Um, so you have a, a great pastor, a great pastor's family, and I hope you uh, already know that. Um, it, it's interesting, too, because um, we've been studying Colossians at Crosswinds um, for the last six weeks. And when Pastor He told me that he had just preached on Colossians chapter 3 a few weeks ago, I'm like, dude, okay, week number six is Colossians 3. I need you to come preach at Crosswinds Church. Um, and so, um, and that's always good because what that does is that gives him a little bit of a break because he already knows what he's preaching on on Sunday, right? Um, and he could do a few other things. And so um, what I have done is I'm actually preaching out of Colossians chapter 1, which is a message I preached a few weeks ago um, at crosswinds, and so I'm just really excited about that. Um, Just the title for this morning is this, is that uh, God's not done yet. It's this whole idea that God's not done with me, he's not done with you, he's not done with us. And and I said that at crosswinds too, is that um, it's this whole idea that God is doing so many things in our community and around us and around the world that we have to be reminded, I think we have to be reminded that God is continually at work. And, and, and I just want to remind you of that this morning. I, I believe that Colossians chapter one actually um, preaches and teaches us that this morning. And so, um, if you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Colossians chapter 1, some of the passages that I will be reading this morning will be on the screen, and some of them will not. Um, late last night, as I was uh, continuing to look over, there were a couple of passages later in the chapter 1 that I was like, oh man, i got to add this in. And I didn't want to call Pastor Heath at like 10.30 and say, hey man, can you add these to the notes in the morning? So I just figured, hey, you got your Bible, you got a smartphone, you can look it up. All right. Um, If you can't cheat and look at your neighbors. All right. So the question becomes this. What is it that you believe? Because what you believe actually determines what you do. What you believe actually determines how you live. Okay. because here's the idea. God's not done yet. Now, January 1 is coming up. I can't believe that here we are at the end of the year. We just celebrated Thanksgiving and December's coming. Christmas is just a, a, a few short weeks away. And, and January 1, uh, the year 2020 is upon us. And it never fails that in the beginning of a new year, what do we do? 
We set resolutions, right? We set some goals. We have some ideas of things that we want to change. We want to do different. So maybe you, maybe you're like one of those people. I'm one of those people who likes to sit down and like put a list together, right? Like have the, my, my top 10 list. Like this is what I would like to do this year, okay? Because you realize if you don't have a destination in mind, then most likely you're going to wander aimlessly. It's kind of like going to Wilmington, right? Like most of us, if we're going to go somewhere in Wilmington and we don't know where where it where where it is, what do you do? You get out your smartphone and you pull up Google Maps because you don't have a paper map in your car anymore, right? Anybody got paper maps? Nope, they're done. Oh, oh my gosh, I couldn't even read a paper map if I wanted to. And, and so you pull out your smartphone, you put the address in it, and 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 boom, it takes you right there. So you've got this destination in mind. And so what we tr- try to do typically at the beginning of the year is we say, hey man, we want to we want to do this. Maybe in your job, your your um, your boss sits down with you and says, okay, what are the things that you want to accomplish for this year? What are the things that you want to do? What do you want? What are the things that you want to do in your family? And you kind of set some goals or you set some things that you want to do. And most of the time, probably 90% of people at the beginning of the year, they say, I want to eat right and want to lose weight. Right? Yep. Everybody says that. And then by the second week in February, they're like, nope, I don't want to do that anymore. Nope. And so they've, they've kind of, they've kind of decided not to do that. But it all depends on what you choose to believe, because what you believe determines what you do, what you believe about God, what you believe about his son, Jesus determines most of the time on how you will live and what you will choose to believe. It's kind of like working out. If you believe that working out is good for you, then you're going to get up in the early in the morning, right? F3. I mean, after he gets there. All right. All right. You're going to get up early in the morning and you're going to go. And I haven't been there in two weeks. So I must not believe it too bad. All right. No, just kidding. And if you believe that working out is healthy for you, then you make the choice, right? You make the choice to get up, go work out. You go to the gym. Hey, if you believe that eating right actually is better for you, then you start making some of those choices. Hey, if there are some things that with your kids that you want to do different, it's all determined on what you believe. If you don't want them doing this because you believe it's not good for them, then you start to set some some guardrails up for them. Because what you believe determines what you do. Now, let me ask you this question. What does your journey to this point look like? If you were to look back over however many years that you have lived, what would the story of your life tell to this point? What what would be the key things that you would write down that would be the key elements of the story that you have written to this point. And no, we're not at January 1st, 2020, and we've still got a few weeks away, and maybe you haven't even started thinking about 2020 yet. But what if? What if God wanted to start today doing something new in you? Why do we have to wait till January 2020? Why do we have to wait till we grow up? Sometimes as teenagers, we say, well, when I get old, I'll do this. When I get to that age, I'll do this. When I get here, then I'll do this. What if God wants to start doing something new today? Because, see, I believe. I believe in what God's doing. 
I believe in who he is and I believe he's not done yet. You see, God is all knowing. He's all powerful and he's all present. And because of that, we can trust every bit of him. We can trust every bit of his word. We can trust every bit of what he does. We sang a song, just a, the, the second song we sang, it said that God is never late. Now, how often have we thought that God was late? Or it wasn't in our timing. And maybe you're in that season right now where you're just like, I don't know what God is doing. But maybe it's in the waiting that God is trying to teach you something about himself. What is it that you believe about God? Do you believe that he's all-powerful? Do you believe he's all-present? Do you believe that he's all-knowing? Because those things will determine what you do. Because he's not done with me. He's not done with you. And he's not done with us. You see, everything has a starting point. Everything has a starting point. You don't go somewhere over in Wilmington without having a starting point. You don't decide to go on vacation without having a starting point. You don't have a goal that you want to reach without a starting point. You also don't have an end goal or in mind. You also don't have a destination. You don't start something without having a destination in mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Francis Chan has a great quote that I have quoted for years and has always been one that has really um, been uh, struck a chord in me. And he said this. He wrote a couple books, um, pastor at a church out in California, and just recently said that he's taken his family and he's going to Asia to be a missionary. And he says this, our greatest fear should not be the fear of failure, but at succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Coming to the end of our life just five weeks ago, this kind of hit home the last five weeks. So five weeks ago, my, my mom passed away. So I've lost both of my parents within the span of a year and a half. And when you have to walk through circumstances like that, you always, it always brings you to this point in your life where you think about your life. You think about what, uh, what you have lived for. And you're able to celebrate the things that your parents have lived for. I have a very um, deep spiritual heritage. A very deep spiritual heritage. And it was one of those things where I'm able to sit back and reflect on what God's doing um, through this situation and what he's t- teaching me and say, man, I'm thankful for what my parents did. Although when I was a teenager, I didn't like it because they said, hey, we don't want you to do this and we don't want you to do that. And I just thought they were trying to be mean to me. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to teach me more about what it meant to have guardrails in my own life. Because, listen. You may not want guardrails, but as an adult, you better have guardrails as well. And understand those types of things. And so, what is it that life is really about? Where is it that you're going? What is your end goal? 
or as Avengers would say, your end game. Right? You see, in Colossae, Paul was writing, Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae. And Paul was in prison at the time. He had actually never been to the church in Colossae. So he was a spiritual leader of the day. He had planted many churches, but had never been to Colossae. He had just sent guys there to start this church. And so he was in prison. He was putting this, uh, putting this letter, um, to paper, to pen. Um, and then what Paul would do is he would actually give this letter to a messenger and the messenger would take this letter to the church. So it'd be much like today. And can you imagine, can we put ourselves in that situation for just a moment? Hey, hey, uh, uh, Pastor Heath is in prison, which I hope never happens. And he's put this letter and he's sending it to the church here because he really cares about the church. And he really wants you guys to understand these types of things. So he sends this messenger and the messenger shows up on a Sunday morning. He's like, okay, guys, come in, come in, come in. Because what I want you to do, I want you to listen to what, to what. Uh, Pastor Heath had to say, and this, these are the words of Paul, because Paul knew two things that were happening. He wrote this specifically to the church in Colossae because he knew two things were happening. One was that um, the belief that Jesus was less than God. Okay, there was this belief that was surfacing in Colossae that Jesus was less than God. And Paul wanted the church to know that everything that Jesus was equal to God. Right. The father, son, Holy Spirit, that God sent his son, Jesus, to earth. And Paul believed in that. And I thought that even interesting, because if you know anything about Paul, Paul actually persecuted Christians at one time, even to the point of killing them. And then he has this encounter with with the Holy Spirit, he has this encounter, and in that moment, he's changed, and the, and the Spirit says, you're no longer Paul, you're now, you're no longer Saul, you're now Paul. And he has this major conversion moment, and all of a sudden, now Paul is going like crazy because what he believes to be true about who Jesus is. And he wanted the church to know that Jesus was no less than God, that they were equal. And there was this other belief surfacing that this, that this belief about Jesus was only for certain people. And Paul was saying, no, this is not a belief that's only for certain people. This is for everyone. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. It doesn't matter who it is that this belief about who Jesus is is for everyone. That this salvation that's found in Jesus, because Jesus said that. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there was this belief surfacing that maybe this salvation in Jesus was only for a few select people. And Paul was saying, no, no, listen, church. No, no, it's not for a few people. It's for everyone. doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile. It doesn't matter. I believe that he would say the same thing today. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people. So Paul's starting right out, right at the gate, encouraging the church, saying, man, thank you for your faith. 
thank you for your belief. And and continuing on as he was writing, the faith and love that spring up from a hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now, this next part, it kind of sets the stage for what I want to talk about the rest of the time. It says, verse 6, that has come to you in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So here's Paul saying, listen, listen, guess what, church? You're not in this alone. There's God's doing all kinds of things all over the world. God's not done yet. Jesus is not done yet. His power is not done. His presence is not done. He's all knowing. It's not done yet. And he goes on to say, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I love that because that shows Paul's intensity. It shows him and Timothy's intensity in praying for other churches. Which I love that you guys do. He goes on to say, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. And here's verse Verse 10, another key verse for us this morning. So that, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. So Paul's saying, hey, hey, listen, remember, God's already doing all this throughout the world. And as we continue in our belief in who God is, as we continue in, in, who, in the belief in who Jesus is, we do that so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord. We may live a life worthy of the Lord, that we may please him in every way, and that our lives would bear fruit. You see, the reality of it is you've been set up. Ever been set up? Anybody ever gone to a blind date? I'm not talking about that kind of setup. God actually set you up from the very beginning of time. He he created Adam and Eve, he created the world, created Adam and Eve, put them in this garden. And he said, hey, you can have anything in this garden, but don't eat of this one tree. And in that moment, he gave them a choice. He gave them a choice in this relationship with him. Just said, hey, don't eat of this one tree. And we know that in that moment, he gave all of us a choice. Adam and Eve obviously made a bad choice, but he still gives us a choice. God didn't want to create a whole world filled with people that were robots where he just may say, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. and You got to do this. No, he gave us this choice. And that's what I mean. We've been set up. It's a good setup. You've been set up with a choice to believe in God, to believe in who Jesus is, to believe that everything rises and falls on him. 
and that you've been called to something greater. What does your life look like to this point? I'm 47 years old. I have to look back at my life and say, man, there are some things that, man, I wish I could erase. But maybe God just allowed those things to get me to where I am today. Man, there are some great spiritual markers that I look back at. I say, man, this, yeah, this helped me get here and, and this helped me get here. You see, 11 years ago, when God woke me up early in the morning and said, I want you to move to Wilmington and plant a church, it was a crisis of belief. I was living in New York. I was living 800 miles away. I had only been to Wilmington one time and gone to the battleship as a like an 11-year-old kid. And God said, I want you to go to Wilmington and I want you to start a church 800 miles away. And all the moment, all of a sudden, in this moment, I got to choose what am I going to believe? Am I going to believe what God, what I know to be true about God? Am I going to allow that to dictate what choices, what direction I'm going to go? You see, I grew up in the church. I have a deep spiritual heritage. And up until that point, I had been in ministry as a youth pastor for probably 12 years. I had taught adults and teenagers about faith. And all of a sudden, like it is put in front of me, and now I've got to make a choice. Am I going to believe the very things that I was teaching? You see, to be honest with you, the first, I don't know, I, I came to Christ as a small kid. Um, and up until, this, up until that point, which was, what, 11 years ago, I was about 35 years old. I can't truly say I'd lived a life of faith. You see, everything had been been kind of made easy for me, to be honest with you. And in that moment, I had to make a choice. Am I going to live in a comfort zone? You see, it's easy for Christians to live in a comfort zone and live in a consumer mentality. You can come here to church every single Sunday, and you can take it in and never give one thing. Or... You can be a part of what God's already doing. How has your life bared fruit to this point? Or do you look back at your story and it's really all about comfort and consumerism? See, God brought me to this point, And I had three kids at the time. They were probably um, six, eight, and ten. Quit my job. My wife quit her job. Moved to Wilmington. And said, if we have to live in a van down by the river, we'll live in a van down by the river. And that's where I truly had to start to live in faith. Because we didn't have a whole lot at the time. And I don't want you to pat me on the back because it was a a struggle. It was something I had to work through to get myself to that place. But in those moments, it was this crisis of belief of what am I actually going to choose to believe about God? And maybe in this moment, it's what are you choosing to believe about who God is? What are you choosing to believe about who Jesus is? What steps of faith is he calling you to that maybe you've just been afraid to take? Maybe it's in relationship with him. You're like, I don't even know what a relationship with him is. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know what salvation is. Then maybe today it's taking that first step. You see, it's just one step at a time. God doesn't give us these big billboard moments most of the time. But what he does do 
is he just asks us to take one small step at a time. One small step at a time. My first small step 11 years ago was I just had to say yes. And then God started to work all the details out. You see, a lot of times we try and work all the details out before we say yes. Because we want to know that we're going to be comfortable. We're going to be safe. It's going to be easy. But God's called us to something greater. But we have settled for less. We've settled for less. Here's what I walked away with that passage. Is this. Destination. And I didn't come up with this. I stole it. Every great pastor steals something from another pastor. But destination determines your direction. Destination determines your direction. But the enemy will try to distract you from the truth. You see, Paul was trying to put into the Colossae church that God was already doing something. The bigger picture was already written. The end game was already had already started, had already been. You see, for all of us in following Jesus, the victory has already been won. We don't have to fear the end game. We don't have to fear death because we know that Jesus has already won. He's already conquered sin and death. But destination determines direction. But the enemy will try to distract you from the truth. So I said, so how do we determine destination? Right? Because our destination in that, in our life as we're walking toward Jesus, he wants us to live a life worthy of the calling, bearing fruit, making a difference. And I believe the biggest problem with people understanding their destination is this right here. Can you guys all see this? There are four questions that I kind of uh, that I thought through. The first one is this, is who am I? Who are you? You see, you're the only one who knows who you are. Well, except for if you're married. You can pretend to be somebody else, but your wife will call you out. Right? I was, uh, I was driving um, the other day. We were coming back from Wilmington and pulled off at the, divide, the diverging diamond. Right? You guys love the diverging diamond? How many people work in Wilmington and have to come to, back to Leland every day? You hate it, don't you? All right? So we, it's 5 o'clock traffic to... They pull down, we pull down there at the stoplight, and um, that was about three cars back, and there was about three or four, five cars over here, and I know what the guy beside of me is trying to do, right? Y'all know too, right? You're that person, right? All right. <laughs> and so, um, so the light turns green, and we take off, and I stay right on the butt of the person in front of me, like, nope, it's not happening. Right. Um, and and we go all what? A hundred yards and the lights red. So we stop. We're sitting there. I know what that guy's doing. I can read his mind and probably all four or five cars that are in line. I said, nope, it's not happening here. We take off and I, I stay right on the bumper of the person in front of me. Well, this guy, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. He turned on his blinker and decides starts to get over. And I speed up and get closer so that he can't get over. And he I beat him. That's right. And and my wife looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I'm following the car in front of me, right? I'm just staying with the traffic. She's like, why didn't you let that guy in? 
I said, because I'm following the traffic. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He was just trying to cut in. She's like, well, what would Jesus have done? And in that moment, I realized who I really was. You see, at the root of that, yeah, it's stupid and whatever. But at the root of it, there's pride and arrogance written in that. You see, I, I grew up very competitive. And I hated to lose. I mean, I would play, I would play a free throw game with my grandmother who was in her 80s and I didn't want to lose. Right? Like I'm taking her out if we're, if it's tied. It's nine to nine. She's got one more free throw. I'm taking her out so she can't hit the last free throw. And there's pride and there's arrogance. There's this jealousy. And I have to look at those things and say, man, is that who I really am? Because that's not who Jesus wants me to be. Because I want my life to look like Jesus' life. Even if it's in the car at the diverging diamond. And so we have to look at this whole idea of who, who are we really? Who are we really? Because what this is, is this is an identity. This is an identity issue. And we have to say, who am I? The thing is, is that most of the time, um, it doesn't matter who we are until we know who Jesus is. Because once we know who Jesus is, then he starts to establish our true identity. And then you have to ask the question, whose am I? And whose am I is a control issue. Who's in control of my life? Who's li- am I living for me? Am I living for the salary that I can earn? Am I living for the job that I've been given? Or am I living for him? Have I give him full control? Now, here's the thing we like to do as Christians. A lot of times we only like to give God a certain portion of control of our life. It's kind of like moving into a brand new house and only using a few rooms. And only... And only giving him control of those rooms. And, well, we don't, we don't want you to have that room. We don't want you to have this room. You can't go in this room. We have to give him the whole house. What am I here for? This is purpose. Right? Destination determines direction. So what's your purpose? And then where am I going? Um, this, is, this is destination. What's the end game? Destination. I'm not great at spelling. You know what I'm talking about. So as you start to establish your identity and who Jesus created you to be, as you start to give him full control of your life, as you start to understand the purpose at which God's given you, and your number one purpose is to love him and love others. He made it pretty simple. He didn't overcomplicate it. We like to overcomplicate it, but he made it pretty simple. And then where is it going? What's your end game? Actually, if you go to Colossians chapter 2, the very end of chapter, no, the first of chapter 3, it says set your heart and minds on things above. So when you get up tomorrow, you live for the purpose of what God's calling you to, knowing that your end game is to do what Jesus has called you to. That when you go to work, you're not going to work to earn money. You're going to work for his glory. You leave the finances up to him. It doesn't mean that we don't learn to steward it. But we, 
understand that what the position that he's put you in in life right now, whether you like it or not, whether you love it or not, that he's got a purpose for it. And the end game is this, that in that position, your only responsibility is to bring glory to God. So who are you? Whose are you? Why are you here and where are you going? And so in verse 13, God gives us the whole purpose behind it. He says this, for he has rescued us. He has rescued us. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. God knew that we would mess this up. God knew that we wouldn't be perfect. And so before you were ever even created, even before the world was ever even created, you realize that God already had the answer in mind, and that was Jesus. Before he even created Adam and Eve, he had an an answer in mind. Before he created you, he had an answer in mind, and that was Jesus. He knew how sinful I was going to be. He knew how sinful you were going to be. And he said, here's your answer Jesus, who's your destination? It's Jesus. Who's your purpose? Jesus. Who who am I going to give control to? I'm going to give it to Jesus. Who is my identity found in? It's found in Jesus. And that's what Paul was doing in the church in Colossae. He was trying to say, hey, listen, Jesus is the most important thing. Everything is found in Jesus. And he goes on in verse 11 to say, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In verse 21, it says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now you have been reconciled. You have been you've been reconciled. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Verse 13 says you were rescued. Um, there was a time I was about seven years old. I was just learning to um, water ski and. And uh, do kind of things. My parents owned a, a lake, a house at the lake, and um, we would go down there on the weekends. And I was, like I said, I was about seven. I was going, I was going kneeboarding this one time, and some of my brother's friends were there. And um, I, at the time, I was so small on the kneeboard. If you've ever ridden a kneeboard, it has like this little bit, it's kind of like a, a, a surfboard, a little bit, a little bit shorter little bit wider um, and you sit down on your knees and it has a velcro strap well this friend of my brother's decided he was going to strap me in so I got on and he takes the strap and and pulls it over and wraps it around and ties me in pretty tight and so uh, I'm, we're on the shore the boat takes off it's a Saturday uh, morning it's pretty busy out out on the lake in that morning you know we go out there's these boats everywhere and the waves are really big and all of a sudden I hit this one this one wave and I flip over and I can't get my legs out. My legs are stuck. I'm seven years old. Fortunately, I have a vest on. And the only thing that's above the water is my head. Like from here, I, I'm just, just all I can do to keep my face out of the water. 
And my brother, being the one driving the boat, decides he's going to take the biggest turn he can. And I'm sitting there dying, thinking as a seven-year-old, this is the end of my life. And he comes around. Fortunately, that life vest kept, kept me afloat long enough. They come back. They realize that I'm not messing around, that I am actually am in trouble. And I think they all jumped out of the boat. I don't know where the boat went. But no, my two brothers jump out of the boat, and they grab me, and they undo it. And I always think about that because essentially that's what Jesus did for us. He rescued us. He throws the life preserver to us. He jumps out of the boat. He grabs onto us. And he pulls us to safety. You have been rescued. So why should I live for his glory? I have no other choice because of what he's done for me than to say, God, I want to give you everything. I don't want to just live. I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, I've just been comfortable. I've done this. I've just taken in, taken in. I've never given back because his word teaches me that if I'm my life is to please him, then it should be bearing fruit. The reason why we keep our destination in mind is because of what Jesus has done for us. How often do you allow the fact that Jesus came and he died on the cross to break your heart? Because what you believe will determine what you do. Megan, won't you come on? You and the band, you guys can come on back up. And I believe that what God's wanting to do in this moment is He may be wanting to call you to salvation. Maybe you've never given your life to Him, and maybe you don't. You're really just here, and this is your first time, and you're just trying to figure spiritual things out. You decide to show up at church on a Sunday, or maybe you've been coming for a while, and you're just trying to figure things out. And that's all good. That's great. Because what God wants is he just wants us to take one next step. When we don't understand, listen, and you'll never fully understand the things of God, period. It'll always be a journey for you. You'll never fully understand what God's doing. It's just that one next step. Maybe some of you here, God has been telling you or asking you to do something, and you just haven't done it because you're afraid there's fear there. Let me say this. I've heard this said a long time ago. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And you've probably heard that said before as well. Maybe there is that neighbor or that coworker or that family member that God's been trying to get you to have a spiritual conversation with, and you just haven't been doing it. Or reaching out to a neighbor and bringing a neighbor to church. Or praying for a coworker that you know is going through a difficult time. You see, we keep the, we keep the end game in mind. We keep the end game in mind because of what Jesus did on the cross. What you believe. About Jesus will determine what you do. Let's pray.
God, I know that in this moment, God, you're wanting to do something in us. Your word, as we read, says it said, you have set eternity in the human heart. And God, I pray that if we have maybe come to this point in our life and there's someone or even myself haven't been focused on totally focused on you, God, I pray that right now you would begin just to reshape and that we'd be able to put our full focus and what we believe about you to be our full purpose, our full destination, where we find our identity and we find our purpose. I pray if there's anyone here this morning, Jesus, who doesn't know you, I pray that their first step would just be to say yes, even though they don't have all the answers, that they would be willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'm willing to run after you and try and figure this whole thing out. And I pray that this morning they would go talk to somebody before they leave here today. God, I know you're not done with us. I know you're not done with me. I know you're not done with your church. I know you're not done with the gospel, that it's still bearing fruit all over the world, and I thank you for that. And I just ask, God, that you would help us to be a part of that and to not miss out. Help us to live for what matters. In your name, Jesus, we pray.